When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, it's Sunday and welcome to the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. And with most days seeming to just blend into one at the moment, it was nice to see some consistency in the Premier League as Manchester City won again and Liverpool lost again. And it's the struggling champions, that's where we get ourselves kicked off tonight as Jurgen Klopp's side slipped to a third straight Premier League defeat as they lost away at Leicester. In part two, it's the current league leaders, that's City, as they took full advantage to sweep past Tottenham with a 3-0 win. And then to wrap it up in part three, it's Manchester United's shock one-all draw against struggling West Brom, plus all the other action from the last 48 hours. I'm Fergal Brennan, and I'll be joined on tonight's Valentine's Day special by two of football media's most notorious love machines. We've got Gold, <laughs> yes, we've got Goal.com's Manchester City correspondent, Mr. Lover Lover Man, Jonathan Smith. How are you? I'm all right. Where would I rather be on Valentine's Day night than speaking to you two? Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and a man who's no change, a man who is no stranger to love all the excitements of Valentine's Day. We have the Stretford Paddock podcast, very own Jay Marty. Jay, how's things? This is the perfect romantic evening for Valentine's Day for me, lads. Honestly, couldn't pick to any better. I'm with Jonathan. <laughs> I agree. I, I couldn't be thinking of anything better to do. And do you know what? If you're listening to this podcast, that also proves that you probably haven't got anything better to do than be listening to us talk about football. So anyway, enough of the love, enough of the love chat. Let's get back to the football because apparently that's what we know about because we don't know anything about love. So Liverpool, Leicester, Jonathan, we're going to go to you first on this. 
Um, the big takeaway was obviously Jurgen Klopp's post-match press conference and and he's been asked some difficult questions, some that he's not really taken too kindly to in the last few weeks. And he was basically asked, is the title race over? Is that it? Is Liverpool's defence finished? Third Premier League defeat in a row and, and a fourth defeat in six games. And a fairly defeated Klopp just said, yeah, it is. And, and we were chatting about this before we started recording and we kind of got the sense that he also looked at it as, please stop asking me these questions. But he does look as if he knows that it is over now. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing to take away from it was that he seems to have slightly run out of ideas of just how to change this. He's, he's tried a few things, come out attacking, come out defending his players, and nothing seems to be working at the moment. They just seem to be limping from um, defeat to defeat, and obviously there's lots of reasons for that. Injuries is obviously a huge part of that, but you know they are where they are, and they're in this, this race for the top four now, and he has to find a way of turning this round. And it was almost like he just, right, I, I just don't want to deal with this now. I, I've just got to somehow focus on this Champions League game that's coming up. It's obviously a huge game. And think about how they're going to turn these 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 uh, performances around. Because at the moment, you know, the way that Chelsea have picked up, United and Leicester are still way ahead of them. You know, they could even slip below uh, West Ham and Everton quite quickly. So... He's got to find a way of turning this round. And Jay, when you look at the situation, and we chatted about this when we were doing our notes uh, before starting uh, recording tonight, and we looked at the situation that Liverpool find themselves in, and, and everyone's thrown their two pence in in terms of why the situation's going the way it is. Is it related to all these injuries? Is that the only reason? Is it a mental issue? Is it a tactical issue? Is it is it something that's gone on off the pitch that's that's affecting the squad? And nobody really seems to be able to put their finger on it because we're seeing players last season who couldn't put a foot wrong, everything they touched turn to gold suddenly just lose that edge and then more importantly lose a huge amount of confidence in themselves yeah I mean I think it might be you know not one of those things but all of them put together almost I mean you think about the last it's it's almost like Liverpool have had two Premier League winning uh, seasons rather than the one because the, the first season or two seasons ago sorry when they lost to City they still finished obviously 98 points which is a ridiculous amount of points to, to get in the Premier League and even more ridiculous to get it and not win. Then they get, I think, 99 and they win it. So this is like the third season almost of a, of a Premier League team. It's, it's how it feels of a Premier League winning team. It's how it feels. And it's difficult to maintain that, you know, when sort of teams in the past have, have had success. You know, you look at the Chelsea team, Arsenal, Arsenal didn't even retain it, no offence, Fergal. Um, Chelsea, that great team, back-to-back <laughs> titles, they couldn't go for the third. United have done it a couple of times, but the couple of times we haven't been able to do it when we were dominating under Sir Alex. It's very difficult to, to maintain that level. And we always knew that they were going to miss Virgil van Dijk when he went out. Everyone said that. He was like, you know, not just their best centre-back, but some almost felt like he was a talisman, even though he was a defender. It felt like he was the sort of one that everyone looked to and like, you know, as long as we've got him, we'll be all right. So they lose him. Then they have all these other injuries as well. And I felt with the signing of Thiago Alcantara, maybe they've tried to change the way they play a little bit. That's not quite worked. And it just feels like all the things you've mentioned are falling into place. You know, they're getting into that third, third season almost of this team playing at the highest level. They're missing vital players. They're changing slightly. And, and something that you can't almost quantify, but I think is happening is, in the past when I've watched Liverpool, you see teams almost crumble. Teams go a goal behind to Liverpool and think, oh, this is going to be a long afternoon, this. Let's just try and keep the score down. Let's, you know, shop shop and not even try and get back in this game. Let's just stop it being a massacre. But now teams are going behind, as we saw with Leicester. And 
still believing this this team's vulnerable. We can get at them. We can punish them. We can get goals against them. We can you know we can get a result. And once you lose that air of invincibility as well, that's a massive problem. And I think it's all those things sort of coming together the the reason that, that Liverpool is struggling is to the extent that they are. And I think, um, as Jay says, Jonathan, that idea of the fear factor potentially being removed of teams last season or even in the last 18 months when they played Liverpool, particularly at Anfield, they would freeze if they went a goal down or they would just look to withstand the storm. And and this result yesterday against Leicester, Leicester winning 3-1, is probably a bit of a microcosm of that. Leicester didn't panic. They they weren't afraid. Even though Salah scored in the second half, they still had plenty of confidence that they'd have enough to to come back into it. We'll, We'll touch on Leicester in just a second, but... Thiago, as Jay said, has, has kind of been held up as, is he one of the reasons? Is he one of the factors? And I actually think when you look at the way Liverpool played last season, which was Van Dijk forcing the back four up nice and high, which meant that Henderson and Wijnaldum could get into their opposition midfielders quickly and get the ball really quickly transitioned into Salah, Firmino and Mane. He was absolutely tailor-made for that. Whereas he's now come into this team, these injuries have happened. That's obviously no fault of his. And he's now being asked to do a role that when he was signed from Bayern, he probably wasn't told would be what would be asked of him. Yeah, I mean, he's absolute quality. There's no doubt about that. He's done it for years and years at Bayern. Absolutely brilliant in the centre of the pitch. Um, and it's, yeah, he has been made a little bit of the scapegoat because he is a lot different to what they, what they had in that successful two years, three years. You know, that energy of Fabinho and Henderson, who obviously been asked to drop into the into the back four so he's a slightly different player he, he sort of you know he, he he moves the ball quickly from side to side I mean the one thing I would maybe look at is is the front three are they doing enough to to create these opportunities because you know Mane and Salah have certainly been two of the most outstanding attackers in the Premier League for the for the past few years Salah's still absolutely flying but uh, you know that energy that high energy doesn't seem to be there this season and and that part of losing that fear factor is you don't feel like they, you, they're going, you're going to get ripped apart like you were previously and you know Thiago can find these passes in tight games that's what he's there for the the more successful you are the more you come up against sides who are going to sit back defend and be difficult to break down and Thiago is an absolute master of that uh, of doing that with Bayern Munich so I'm just not sure that the runs and the movement and the energy is there from the from the, the attacking players around him. So he has been made a scapegoat. I'm not sure he's he's really working in, into the pressing system, whether he's doing the right things. But, you know, there's so much more else going wrong around him. Jay, do you think that's one of the factors? You mentioned there, obviously, about United and the success of back-to-back titles and Ferguson's old attitude of you have to strengthen every season, you know, you can't rest on your laurels you have to keep improving and and keep challenging yourself do you think regardless of the injury to Van Dijk and obviously to Joe Gomez as well that's been a big loss to Liverpool there's players who think that their performance last season the ability that they have is able to carry them and and you look at the likes of Salah who is still banging in the goals but his overall performance in comparison to last season is not what it was Mane seems to be short on confidence Firmino's dropped quite a bit as well do you think there is this idea of well I am good enough so eventually it just has to click for me I don't know and I'm always sort of wary of of questioning players I know where you're coming from I'm not having a go at your question I'm always a little bit wary of sort of saying oh is it a player thinking he's better than he is or he's not got to work as hard or not wanting it as much because I always think that most you know players that have won titles and things like that they go on to every game like it's be all and end all and they want to win as much as they can I think one of the things the front three of, uh, or the issues the front three have got just picking up on what yourself and Jonathan have both mentioned is the service hasn't been as great we've seen Trent Alexander-Arnold he's having a 
um, not, I don't want to use the word shocking because that's not really fair on him, but he's, he's not been anywhere near the levels he was the last couple of seasons. He's, he's, his levels have dropped off. You could maybe throw in Robertson as well. And so much of what Liverpool d- does well, it comes from their fullbacks, bombing forward, getting forward, linking up with those the front three as well. Sometimes you feel like the midfielders are almost like just water carriers, just get hold of the ball and give it out wide. Or, you know, just Firmino likes to drop deep and, and pick it up off them. So when those players aren't firing, it's going to affect your front three as well. And I think that's a massive issue they've got. I don't think they're quite getting the service they need. You know, you mentioned about Thiago Alcantara and Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. When they signed, when Liverpool signed Thiago, I was gutted because there was, as, as there always is, any player that's sort of available is linked with United. And I, I didn't think it was going to happen, but I was like, I'd love to see him at Old Trafford. I think he's just the type of player we've got. And when they got, when Liverpool got him, I thought that's improving them. That's making them better than they were last season. And last season, they just won the league. But what's happened is obviously he's coming to a side that's missing three or four key players um, especially you know defensively as we've touched upon so they're not better and also you look at Diogo Jota who they signed who was doing well he got injured as well so injuries I don't want to keep going back to injuries but it's obviously a factor in it but in terms of the front three and whether they're trying as hard or whether they think they've already made it I think a lot of it is just to do the service they're getting I think as we've mentioned teams are up for it they're more resilient defensively as well against them they've got that extra bit of belief and also the service hasn't been at the standards it has been the previous two seasons and sometimes what happens with forwards and I noticed this when they played United you know and you'll, you, you guys will have seen it so many times as well is when things aren't going your way or when you're not getting into it you start dropping deep you start looking for the ball a bit, perhaps a bit too much and you're not in the areas that you've been successful in in sort of the final third up in in, in around the opposition area and I think that comes into it as well so yeah maybe you know you can question is it that sort of complacency or that desire or but I think a lot of it boils down to just not getting that clinical service that they've been feeding off for the past two seasons um, moving on to Leicester, who are definitely not a side that are so struggling for confidence or for service into their front men. 3-1 in this game. And, and as I mentioned, Jonathan, before, crucially, they didn't panic. After that Salah goal, there's teams that would have gone into their shell and thought, this is Liverpool, they're the defending champions. We're not going to get back into this. And we're going to talk about Jamie Vardy in a minute because when we talk about Leicester, we obviously do tend to talk about him back in action and back on the score sheet yesterday. But... That midfield three, we touched on Liverpool and the issues that they've had there and fitting Thiago into the system and obviously Henderson dropping back into centre-back. But Yuri Tielemans, Wilfred Ndidi and, and James Madison as a system and, and they're almost kind of copying uh, the team that you cover, Manchester City, with Tielemans and Didi as Tielemans and Ndidi as two number eights, which allows Madison then to have much more freedom to, to get up and help Vardy out. When you look at the performance that they put in yesterday, they're up there with the very best midfields in the league, No. Yeah, yeah, they are fantastic midfield. Really, really balanced. I mean, they've got a very balanced squad throughout. They've got a, a, a manager who I think is one of the best in the Premier League. He knows exactly what he wants. He's learned from his time in Liverpool. He's, he's got it together at uh, at Leicester and built his squad exactly what he wants. And obviously, you know, you look at what you sort of make comparisons there to what Pep's doing. Pep loves his midfielders, and and that's what Brendan's done with that. Like you say, with that three, it's really really well balanced. They've got this protection. Indeed, he's probably the one who plays a little a little bit deeper, recognises danger. You know, that's so important against teams like Liverpool. Um, and then they've got this creative... You know, Tielemans is, is almost the Gundogan character. You know, he, he, he sweeps up a bit, but, he can, you know, he can get forward at the same time. And then Madison is very exciting to what the potential he has. 
you know, he's being compared to the likes of Phil Foden and uh, Jack Grealish. I, I think he's definitely in that bracket. He's he's got everything about his game. He can pass. He can score from long range. He works hard. I, th- I think Leicester are a squad and a side that are really going places. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to finish second behind City this season. The way it's going, you know, obviously there's a long way to go. City haven't won the title yet, but. I think I think they've been the best. I think they've been the second best side this season. If uh, City, Manchester City, and Manchester United, we're going to talk about them in, in part two and part three, Jonathan. If they, if Man City do have a little bit of a stumble, theoretically March April time, and, and the gap at the top gets a little bit smaller, can Leicester push them? You know, we we always talk about Liverpool, we talk about United and, and Chelsea now under Thomas Tuchel, but Brendan Rodgers and Leicester are exactly where they want to be, want to be, which is still in the top four and only really a, a small handful of people talking about them potentially saying do you know what if if Man City drop the ball or they get distracted they could could sweep in have they got the squad have they got the, the mentality to do it well they've I mean they've still got a few uh, Premier League winners from from when they caused that massive shock obviously I mean Vardy is fearless and he, he you know a goal scorer is so important if you're going to push for the title I think they've got strength in depth so I think they can really, you know, have a run at it. The one thing I would worry about is they've got, um, you know, they're still in the FA Cup. They've got the Europa League, which is going to be very draining. So even even for a squad as big as Leicester's, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, but, you know, if they were to stay injury-free, they've got the quality to, to challenge, yeah. Certainly, you know, City have put this extraordinary run together, but a couple of blips... And it's you know they're right up there, right right behind them. So it's not impossible, certainly not. Uh, Jamie Vardy, Jay. That's where we're going to wrap up in part one. We're going to put you in the dock now. Anyone that knows Jay will know that he loves to have a little row with anybody uh, connected with Liverpool Football Club, and, and he got himself into a little bit of a tw- Twitter spat with Jamie Carragher this week. <laughs> Jamie Carragher, in his in his column for the Telegraph, said that Jamie Vardy might be the best ever transfer in the history of English football, and Leicester City are still massively reliant on him. And Jay, ever the statistician and, and Manchester United historian, hit back and he said no. Dennis Irwin, who joined Man United, who hadn't won a title or European trophy for over 20 years. In the next 12 years, he won seven Premier League titles, two FA Cups, the League Cup, the Cup Winners Cup, the Champions League, the Super Cup and the Club World Cup. And he only cost 625000 from Oldham Athletic. Now, Jay swears blind that he didn't just copy and paste that off Wikipedia. And I believe him. <laughs> so, Jay, given the fact that, yeah, Irwin was an enormous, enormous part of Ferguson's first team and, and you know, edging in towards his second team, with the, with the class of 92 and obviously the bargain that you got him from Oldham to come to Old Trafford do you stand by that when you look at Jamie Vardy when you look at what he's done with Leicester his record he's won the Premier League with a team that was bottom of the table the season before can he hold a candle to Dennis in your on, on Valentine's Day can Jamie hold a candle to Dennis in your heart <laughs> it, it can and obviously you know it's, it's that is different. touching it's, it's it's a completely different scenario. Dennis Irwin, whilst he came into a United team that had finished mid-table, we had just won the FA Cup and I think there was a feeling that Sir Alex Ferguson was building a fantastic team and it, it progressed. Dennis Irwin was just integral to that and for me, he's, in my personal opinion, is the, the bargain of the, the century. But the, what, what Jamie Vardy's done is he's obviously been the main man at Leicester and he continues to do that and he continues to... Sorry, uh, Fergal, you'll have to get the... Um, 
the, the cliche bell out because I know <laughs> I'm using them all here. Sorry, mate. I always tend to do this. I do really well, and then they all come out in like the next two minutes. Um, but he's defined the odds with his, his the way he's sort of rolling back the years. There you go. I've used them all in one <laughs> sentence. Um, and I'll say this. I'll tell you what. I'll do you a deal. If Leicester win the league this season because of Jamie Vardy's goal, I'll put him above I'll, goals. Sorry, I'll put him above Denny Serwin in the uh, in the pantheon of Premier League bargains or English football's bargains. That is a hell of a promise. Jonathan, would you agree? Um, I've got to be honest, I had some stats lined up here because I expected Jay to go whole hog on Dennis. Um, Jamie Vardy, nobody scored more goals than him in the last four seasons other than Serge, uh, other than Harry Kane. He's edged out Sergio Aguero now due to his injuries this season. Uh, only Harry Kane has scored more goals against the Premier League's established, in quotations, uh, top six. So his record is absolutely amazing. Would you, would you agree with Carragher and, and Jay through gritted teeth? I can't think of too many many others to rival them. I mean, I was sort of scratching my head of who I would think of. I mean, going back a bit, Paul McGrath when he went to Villa was a great signing. Um, I thought Tim Cahill, when Everton bought him, you know, he, he was superb for. I'm not sure how much he cost, um, but I, yeah, I don't think you can get much further on than Jamie Vardy and Dennis Irwin. They're both good shouts. Um, obviously Jay I know you kind of have your arm twisted a little bit on this one with, with Dennis and Jamie Vardy but um, I'm just reading through some of the articles on, on some of the you know sneaky greatest ever transfers in Premier League history and, and just to make your blood pressure boil a little bit uh, according to 442 Dennis Irwin is not yeah. even in the top 20 best ever transfers from one uh, from one English club to another can you believe that? I can't, and that's why I cancelled my subscription to <laughs> many years ago. I'm just going to give I'm nonsense. Just, go on, I'll let you. Just, I'll just, let you indulge me. Go and give us the top, however, whatever you are. Just uh, no, no, I won't, give, I won't give you the full list. I'm just going to give you go a few on. doozies, some of you to think about uh, during the break okay. before part two. So included on the list. Bear in mind that uh, your friend Mr. Irwin is not included on the list. We've got Sammy Hippier to Liverpool in 1999. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, uh, we've got Graham Lasso. From Chelsea to Blackburn in uh, 1993, and perhaps even more shockingly, coming in at number 17, Joe Hart from Shrewsbury to Manchester City in 2006. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, go along I mean, with Joe Hart. I mean, that yeah. was an absolute bargain. That the, the, was, the, I know he's struggling at the moment, but he was great for a long time. I don't mind that, and uh, you know, I don't mind where you put. But like, like for example, you're saying Graham Lasso, Blackburn built a side buying players like Alan Shearer, Graham Lasso, um, Stuart Ripley, all these other. I remember the '95 Blackburn side, and he was a part of that Graham Lasso. Then that Blackburn side fell off a cliff in 1996, and they were relegated. I think within ten years or whatever it was. They did. I think you know, they great. I think wasn't Graham Lasso one of the ones that was scrapping with his own teammate in the when they uh, got yeah, knocked so. out of the Champions League. <laughs> So you've got a player that won one trophy, was scrapping with his teammate when he played in the Champions League and then moved on. And you've got Dennis Irwin, who came in the United side, won seven titles, then won the, and the Champions League. And never a load had, of other never had a row with anybody. Never had a row with anyone. Absolutely revered. Scored some important goals. And yet you're not even making him the best left back. I mean, come on, 4-4-2. Hey, have a word. Right, on that note, we're going to call it there for part one. We're going to give Jay a chance to cool down. Uh, but he's going to be annoyed in part three because we're going to be talking about Man United. But in part oh, two, God. it's Manchester City. 3-1 uh, winners against Tottenham as they extended their league at the extended their lead even at the top of the Premier League table. We'll be talking about that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Oh, 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show Valentine's Day Special. The love is floating around here between myself, Jonathan and Jay. The love was not floating at the King Power Stadium for Jurgen Klopp and Manchester City took full advantage. 3-1 winners against Tottenham to move themselves seven points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand over Jay's boys, Manchester United. Jonathan, we're going to go to you first on this, obviously, with your connection with City. Pretty routine, particularly after the break. Um, Tottenham offered very little resistance. And all this, three points, three goals, with no Ruben Diaz, no Kevin De Bruyne and no Sergio Aguero. Yeah, I mean, it was fairly routine. City obviously on this extraordinary run now, 16 games won on the trot. But you keep waiting for the stumble to happen. And you you look through the fixtures, they've got a number of games against top half sides. Uh, They've got Spurs, obviously just played that. Got Arsenal, West Ham coming up, the Derby, uh, Everton. On Wednesday this week, so you were looking at these fixtures, and you know it only takes a couple of mistakes, and you know United, uh, Leicester are there ready to pounce, but it, it just isn't happening, and they, they keep raising themselves again and again and again. It's not easy to go on this extraordinary run and, and just keep. Yeah, it was routine, but they, they made it routine, and like you say, they were missing some big players. Kevin De Bruyne has been out for a few weeks. Sergio Aguero has missed most of the season, and then Ruben Diaz, who's been such an influence, you know, he missed, missed his first Premier League game. Uh, Amrit Laporte came in, desperate to win back his position, and he, he sort of gave up one opportunity for Spurs. Harry Kane smashing that free kick against the post, and if that goes in, maybe it's a different game. But essentially, that was Tottenham's only opportunity in the game, and from then on, City just just strangled them, absolutely crushed them, and then. I've run out comfortable winners. And obviously, when we're looking at the situation with Man City and the fact that they are cruising, absolutely cruising at the top of the Premier League table, and, and we're talking about this idea of, of those three players coming back, De Bruyne and uh, Ruben Diaz are probably likely to be back in action before Aguero, depending on how the next week or so go. We all expect this to give City another gear, but it's actually given Guardiola a, a situation to deal with because whilst they've been out, we've seen Ilkay Gundogan become probably the most informed goal scorer in the Premier League. We've seen Rodri kick on another level. He knocked in a penalty yesterday. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, without you know ringing the cliche bell too hard of a nice problem to have, Guardiola's actually got quite a difficult problem to have because he's got informed players competing against his best players to get into his starting eleven. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one theory that um, during the, the last title winning season when Bernardo Silva was so important, Kevin De Bruyne missed a lot of that season through injury and and Bernardo's been very good this season and there's a, a theory that perhaps Bernardo plays better when Kevin De Bruyne's not in the side. So there's things like that. You know, Bernardo's been quietly very, very impressive this season. So, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne comes in. You, you got to think Gundogan's a must-starter because of the uh, of the form he's been in. Um, you know, Aguero, the greatest goal scorer in the club's history. Where does he fit into this? Because you know Foden's been so effective out wide. They've got this system at the moment where they play a false number nine, but it's 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 a front three who move all over the pitch. They all take it in turns to play in that position. You know, Gundogan's able to get into that into that role. So. Yeah, it's not going to be easy for. I, I mean, obviously De Bruyne is is probably a, a different on a different level, so it's going to be difficult to leave him out. But it's the ones that you are leaving out that you worry about because no one deserves to, to be missing out on this 
extraordinary run because they've all played their part. Uh, I mean, again, centre-half, you've got John Stones, who's been in the form of his life, Amrick Laporte, who's been City's most consistent centre-back for, for three seasons, and then Ruben Diaz, who's just completely changed it all since his arrival. So, yeah, big, big problems, um, but a lot of options. Um, and obviously with Aguero, we, we make this assumption that because of who he is, the record that he's got at the club, is, as you pointed out, that he's going to automatically come back into that team. But despite the fact that he's, as you say, missed a fair chunk of the season and Gabriel Jesus has been in and out due to injury problems of his own, City are the second highest top scorers in the Premier League with this idea of a system of, of normally Torres, Sterling and, um, and and Phil Foden, who's obviously been, been brilliant so far this season. So if Aguero comes back and, and he's fully fit and he's ready to play, and obviously De Bruyne and, and um, Ruben Diaz at centre-half. Who do you see dropping out? Obviously, Pep is going to talk about squad rotation. He's not going to get pinpointed on individual names. But ultimately, when the big games start to roll around and the Champions League comes back into play, one or two players are going to have to miss out. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the past, it's been Phil Foden who's probably dropped out of the big games. Uh, you know, he's still only 20, so he's still still learning his way but he played that game at Liverpool last week and was so influential I thought he's probably the biggest attacking threat on the pitch which when you're considering the big names in that game you know Mane, Salah uh, Bernardo like we've said Foden was the most influential so he starts Sterling has done it for for three four seasons at City now so he probably starts so, so then you're really sort of getting down into an, almost a battle between Aguero Mares and Jesus, and I think in the in the tight games when it's going to be a, not much in it, I think possibly they need the legs of someone like Jesus who, who does the hard running, puts the pressure on attackers, leads that press, and Aguero possibly misses out, and and that they have him as an option from the bench. I mean, it's incredible to think that, but he's been he's been badly affected by injuries recently. He's lost. You know he's he's still fine to get his his full fitness back. If he comes back to what he has been, you know he, he's going to be very difficult to, to to miss out. But just at the moment, I don't see him playing those big games. It's absolutely incredible, Joe. When you think of the record that Aguero has at City, and and obviously the contract situation that's going to come into play at the end of the season, how much he plays between now and the end of the campaign will will probably determine um, whether or not he's at the Etihad next season. I know you don't like to discuss when City are doing well, so I'm going to give you a bit of nonsense. Uh, penalty, and we all had that moment where we thought Edison. He came up. Um, I, I mean, you know, I don't have a horse in the race here. You, you know, do and don't with with being a Manchester United fan. But I think everybody looked at it and thought. He's not going to let him take it, is he? And unfortunately for the neutrals watching this, no, Edison didn't take the penalty. He had a quick word with Rodri. Rodri scored. Um, Edison came out after the game and Rodri said it as well, that no, 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 there wasn't a discussion about him taking it. He was just giving me a bit of advice. Do you believe that? Do you think Edison wanted to take it? Do you think Edison will get a penalty before the end of the season? It pains me to say, I think he probably will. I think City are playing <laughs> at that level now where it's almost, what, do, you, do you want to have a go at this? Do you fancy taking a penalty? Go on then. Don't matter if you don't score, we'll be all right. We'll get some more, don't worry. We'll get another goal. That's at the levels they're at. And, you know, I'd say no pleasure from saying that whatsoever. But we've spoken about Leicester who are doing well, spoken about Manchester United, and we know we're going to get into them at my team a little bit later on who aren't doing as well. But City are just, they've hit the stride. The fact that, you know, Jonathan's naming players there that aren't getting in the team, and I'm, it's, it's making me feel worse. Because I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. 
Because do you know what I mean? That's like, what Valentine's talking... Day is all about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> feeling, <laughs> feeling ill and in trouble. Um, but yeah, it's you know, City have just got strength in depth, and what's made it sort of even more impressive for them are the way that players that you almost I won't say you forgot about, but don't always pivot to in terms of oh he's really great for City or he's going to be one of the main men. You know, are now playing amazingly. I mean, I don't want to go too far back in time, but John Stones is an example where people going oh you know John Stones maybe will get moved on maybe it's not quite worked out it's been phenomenal whenever I've seen him this season anyway you know Ilke Gundogan who you've spoken about these are players that they're not the automatic stars that you speak about when you think of Manchester City but they're playing exceptionally well and you know City have got players that are missing if they come back I mean I don't want to be too defeatist and I don't like, you know, as I've said earlier, I don't want to keep giving this caveat, oh, I don't like talking about City and praising them, but I'm almost getting into that stage now where I think it's a case of how many points they're going to win the league by rather than if they're going to win the league because I just think they're a different level to everyone else if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah, there was a point in, in Pep Guardiola's press conference in midweek when he got asked about Edison taking a penalty and, and he was trying to think of the word for essentially a reliable penalty taker. We don't have a an X. And all I kept thinking was, and this is your fault, Jay, all I kept thinking was Dennis Irwin. You don't have a Dennis Irwin. <laughs> um, Jonathan, someone who definitely wasn't feeling the love Valentine's Day or other after this was, was Jose Mourinho Tottenham. For me, yes, we can talk about City all day and, and how well they're performing and this ridiculous run that they're on. But... Tottenham were absolutely bang average and even having Harry Kane back fitting in the team and, and Song Hyung Min who plays so brilliantly dovetails so well with, with Kane couldn't really seem to get in this and Tottenham are a team that were expecting to qualify for Europe be that the Champions League or, or Europa League but based on this show and yesterday they're absolutely miles behind Yeah I thought it was all a bit predictable really this you know pack, pack the defence play a few players with a bit of pace to try and catch City out on the break uh, you know, Pep saw it coming a mile off. Got his got his system set up for it. Like I said, they had that one chance, clumsy tackle from Laporte on Kane. He went down quite. You know, he knew what he was doing. Won the free kick. And other than that, there wasn't. There's not a lot to worry about in in this team. You know, we, Kane Kane is the man, and if you can stop him, I mean, I do like Son. He's got a huge amount of pace. He's a real threat. But but they don't seem to have a system that will will, will cause organised teams problems. You know, it's strange to go back to that. You know, early early start early part of the season when they really did look like they might put it together this season. Um, but they seem to be going backwards very quickly, and you wonder. You know, is this is the Mourinho factor as it always happens? You know, it starts well and it goes downhill quickly. It seems to be going downhill quicker more than ever these days. Well, Jay, that's where I wanted to ask you, and you're obviously an expert in this situation of uh, Jose Mourinho turning a club into a car crash based on how things ended for him at Old Trafford. That, as Jonathan says, seems to be happening a bit quicker. He seems to be accelerating the process and all the, the trademark behaviours from him of blaming players and blaming officials and just generally being quite grumpy in press conferences and not really giving answers. Obviously, there's the bizarre situation that he's in with, with Gareth Bale where he's essentially hinting that he doesn't want to play uh, for Tottenham at the moment. This all seems to be heading in one direction, which is going to negatively impact uh, Tottenham Football Club, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and probably mean that Mourinho leaves. Yeah, I mean, I think me and you've spoken about it so many times on this podcast. It's like Jose Mourinho has fast-forwarded having his third season syndrome into having his having it in his first or second season nowadays. He just seems to, you know, with Jose, what you get is you get 
two seasons of success. That's usually is how, it, how he works. And then in the third season, he falls out of everyone and moves on. He's done that at, at, um, at Chelsea. I think both times he's been there. He's did it at, at Inter to a lesser degree, I think. But I think yeah, I think that happened there. Real Madrid, United. Um, and it's just what you get out of him those first couple of seasons. Now, it's not all doom and gloom with Jose. I think if he wins the Carabao Cup, then he can go, look, I've delivered a trophy for the first time to, to Tottenham since, what is it, 2008? So there's still that, but it's <laughs> looking at the way they played against City last, uh, the other day, I don't think there's much chance of that happening, to be honest with you. He's fallen out with people, which he did at United. He's fallen out with players. He's throwing them under the bus. He keeps, you know, the, the, the whole Gareth Bale thing. It's unnecessary. You know, Jose doesn't seem to be able to just deal with things internally when it comes to his plays. He seems to like to come out with these statements and say these things. And that's all well and good when you're winning football matches and bringing in trophies. But when you sat in ninth in the table and, you know, the fans are looking at it and going, you know, we had a, we, went, we got to a Champions League final six months later, whatever it is, we got rid of the manager. And since he's gone, this is what we've been fed. It just isn't good enough. And you just, it's, it's a shame because there was a time when I really liked Jose Mourinho. And even when he was at Chelsea before he came to United, he was a good box office and you had to admire him and respect what he was capable of but he just seems to have lost his way completely and it just never seems like a happy camp when Jose Mourinho was involved and that's not always been the case you know I remember I've been at press conferences with Jose Mourinho when he's at United and I'm having a laugh with him he can be a, a, a funny guy but he just seems angry all the time and his team just seem a bit depressed um, and it's mad because early on in his season you know I hate to say it but it's true they batted United 6-1 and people were going maybe this is going to be a surprise title challenge from Spurs maybe you know Jose's going to have his second season and upset all the odds but it, it, you know it wasn't to be and I think that just looking at the team that played against Manchester City I mean they've got decent players like Jonathan was saying you know Son I really like Harry Kane but you know Lucas Moura Lamella these players they're alright but they're not you know I, I wouldn't be like thinking oh these are the players that are going to fire us into a title challenge or, or you know do anything other than maybe win the Carabao Cup and I think they need a massive rebuild and I don't know if they're going to believe in Jose enough to, to give him the money to do that. Well, let me put it to both of you before we take a quick break because this is this is a situation that Tottenham find themselves in and it essentially was probably the undoing of, of Maurizio Pochettino, Jonathan, towards the end of his time at the club, which is the fans are, are desperate to get that piece of silverware, that, that trophy in the cabinet and they do have a chance to do that Carabao Cup final at the end of the month but they're up against the Man City side that are pushing for a, for a quadruple. If they win that and still struggle in the Premier League and, and maybe miss out on a top four place. Will that keep him in the job, considering the fact that Daniel Levy looks at it in almost the opposite way to the fans, where it's about keeping a tight financial ship, and that means being in the Champions League for next season? I think he probably will keep him in a job, um, because I think he's got a, he's got a difficult balance, keep, you know, with obviously going through this pandemic, money's tight, things like that. He's got to keep that squad together. And if they win a trophy on the back of that, I think that's a big success. But equally, I think if he was to play in the same style as he did on Saturday and lose, I think the fans would, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be happy with that at all. You know, losing a final, playing defensive football would probably kill him off. Uh, Jay, would you agree with that if uh, Tottenham come out on top of the Energy Drinks trophy? Do you think that'll be Mourinho safe in a job, even if they miss out on, on top four? I mean, I, I think it could be, you know, I think that that sort of desperate for, for some sort of silverware, it's getting a bit silly in it because you look at Tottenham, they've always been in and around the top four for at least the like, past, what, past 10 years-ish and yet they've got nothing to show for that. You don't get a trophy or have a parade for finishing in the top four 
So, yeah, I think they, they, they need something like that. And like Jonathan was saying, one thing you don't want is, is to see your team go into a final, play negative, terrible football, and then lose anyway. I think he could do with something like that. He's a, he's a manager that likes to brag and tell people what he's won and what he's done. And if he can say, you know, I'm the first manager in 13 years to bring silverware to Spurs, he'll be happy with that. And I think the Spurs board might be happy with that as well because it is, you know, a bit of silverware, which is what they've been lacking. Yeah, little message of uh, positivity from Mourinho there. If you're listening, it doesn't matter how crap your team play. As long as you win that one game, you won't be unemployed <laughs> next season. We won't be bumping into you in the job centre over the summer. We're going to call it there for part two. After the break, Jay is going to be getting even more excited than when he talks <laughs> about Jose Mourinho as he's going to be talking about Sam Allardyce as Manchester United drew one all against West Brom. And we're going to be looking back at all the other games this weekend in a massive round of results at both ends of the table. We'll catch you in a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. My name is Fergal Brennan. We have Jonathan Smith and Jay Motti here looking back at the weekend's action. Don't forget, if you're a fan of the podcast or if you're a new listener to the podcast, just give subscribe a quick click and you get a brand new episode every single day. We are your daily source of all things Premier League. Now, we've talked about Liverpool and Leicester. We've talked about Manchester City beating Tottenham. Jay, you're up. Manchester United one all draw away at West Brom. West Brom, who are battling against relegation, and Manchester United, who are trying to hang on to the coattails of Manchester City in the title race. I'm going to ask you a straight question. Was this a bad day at the office or something else? I'd like to say it was a bad day at the office. I'd like to say, you know, it's a one-off, it's a blip, but if you're going to get technical and look at things like facts and stats <laughs> then it's difficult. yeah nobody wants that you know reality god <laughs> yeah evidence then i've not got a leg to stand on because <laughs> i think we've we've won one of our last is it five games yeah one in five so, yeah so the, you can't just say well this is a bad day at the office and when you look at some of the other games we've not won then they've come against teams that have, have not been playing too well so listen we're, we're in a bit of a rut at the minute at united um and i think that it's all well and good, you know, we've got the 9-0 against Southampton and people think, oh, you know, everything's rosy. It's not, we've, we're dropping too many points and today was a case in point. It reminded me a little bit of the Sheffield United game in the sense that, you know, we didn't create enough. Okay, there's maybe a little bit of a sense of injustice with the, the first, um, with the West Brom goal, sorry, where you can look at that goal, you know, on another day a referee gives a foul against Victor Lindelof, but I'm not going to make excuses. We should have gone to the Orthons and we should have won. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs to make some decisions because there's too much flip-flopping on certain things. I'm a massive Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fan. I think he's done a fantastic job and I, I think he should be given time. I'd certainly give him, you know, to the... I, I think I think if, if things sort of stay similar to what they are, if you finish in the top four, I'd give him next season as well. But he needs to stop sort of being indecisive, especially on certain issues, especially when it comes to our front three. I see Marcus Rashford starting on the right again today. I don't really like that, even being honest. Andy Martial, whose form just has fallen off a cliff. He really has. He was probably our or a contender for our player of the season last season. And I think he's got two Premier is it sorry, four Premier League goals um all season. And two of them came in that nine nil against Southampton. So if it wasn't for that, you know, it'd be real dire straits. But 
it's not great and I think Oli needs to decide right okay if Edison Cavani is my number nine Marcus Rashford on the left or Mason on the right whatever it is and stick with it and play sort of your strongest team available but he doesn't and this, there's, there's so many sort of I get you have to alter things and there's so many decisions you have to make as a manager and okay adapt to the, 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 the opposition but when you're playing a team like West Bromwich Albion who are second from bottom and what is it, 12 or 13 points off safety, I think they were, going into the game. You're not thinking about them. You shouldn't be when you're Manchester United. You should be saying, if I set up this team, if I do, you know, we set up our team as strong as this, West Brom aren't going to be able to cope. And it doesn't seem like we're doing that. It seems like we're, I don't know, it seems like we don't know what our strongest team is. You know, we're playing two midfielders in there that are more almost more defensively minded and when you go into somewhere like West Brom that's just not good enough so I think Oli's got to decide what his best team is and I think the, the form we're in you've got to play that team almost every week in the Premier League and you know we've got the Europa League coming up if you want to rest players rest them for that because I don't think anyone will mind that if we don't win the Europa League or if we don't treat it with the, with the same respect we treat the Premier League but we've got to try and turn this form around and I think the only way to do that is to play your strongest team and Oli needs to work out what it is Jonathan, obviously, Jay says when you look at this performance and you, you know exactly what you're going to get from West Brom in terms of the way they're going to set up and the way that Allardyce is going to look to play against United. And with Liverpool, obviously, we, we go back to this idea of injuries and, and key players missing. When when I watched this today, I, I looked at the United team and it, almost automatically I was like, there must be a few players missing. They, they just don't really see them at the races. This person must be missing. No, they're playing. He must be missing. No, they're playing. The only the only player that was actually missing that would probably be in the starting lineup was was Paul Pogba. I'm not counting Phil Jones. I think uh, the only part of the club he affects now is his shift in the club shop. So he, he's not up for consideration anymore. But given the fact that you know exactly how it's going to go down, they're prepared for this all week. They just seem so utterly unaware of how to deal with West Brom you know what's coming you know you've got to win your battles in both boxes you can't get out physical in midfield and every single thing that West Brom would have wanted United to do they did yeah I mean I, I actually thought this result was probably a bit more shocking than the defeat to Sheffield United I think West Brom are probably the worst team in the Premier League at the moment I mean you go back to that draw at Liverpool which was fantastic but I, you know since then they've they've really really struggled Um I mean, they was they got that early goal and it gave them something to to really fight for. I was really surprised at United. That they, they, you know, they really had a couple of chances. They could have won it uh, with that you know late header from Harry Maguire, a couple of other incidents, but but really, really not a lot. You know, it took a fantastic goal from Bruno Bruno Fernandez to get an equaliser. And these days, if if Bruno's not doing it, you wonder where else it's going to come from. Um, yeah. I just, you know, I was watching it in the second half, and the cross came in, and Cavani was. I was like, "Oh, I've forgotten Cavani was even playing." You know, this is a guy who's been who's who's been there, done it everywhere. He's come to United on a on a massive contract to to to, to be a difference in these sort of games to get the goals because that's what he does. He was completely anonymous, uh, and it was yeah, I was I was quite I was I was fairly shocked at how United just couldn't up the up the game, particularly. It got to 80 minutes and you thought, right, it, this is it now, they'll go for it. And, and actually, West, West Brom probably had the, the the best chance during that time when uh, when, when he ran through and robbed Maguire. So not sh- I'm not sure exactly what Ollie does to turn things around because, you know, he's got to make, like Jay says, he's got, I think he's got to make some big big decisions and, and start and start really you know going with his strongest 11 uh, because they're, they're just sort of treading water at the moment and... If Liverpool get it together, Chelsea are getting it together. You know, it, 
it could feel could turn into a bit of an uncomfortable end to the season. Just quickly before we look at the other games in this weekend, Jonathan, just a point on West Brom. Obviously, they find themselves in the situation that they're absolutely scrapping for their lives and, and trying to stay in the Premier League. But they're almost copying Fulham's strategy of if we just get a point, just don't get beat, that will be enough. But ultimately, you need to be able to go and win games. Even if you you know go for it and you lose, just drawing and drawing and drawing eventually is not going to be enough. And normally it's around the 30-game mark that we see a, a bit of a gap opening up between those cut adrift in the bottom three. But 23 games in, we're ending the weekend with Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United, eight, nine points cut adrift of, of Newcastle. Is the relegation picture pretty much wrapped up, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think West Brom has certainly gone. Um, I thought it was great when Ian Wright sort of got behind Sheffield United and said they can still do it, but they're too far back. And Fulham have been OK this season, but you just look at the teams above them um, I mean maybe Newcastle are the ones that could slip down into the bottom three with everything that's going on there you know it's not a happy ship but I think they've probably got enough points already I think they're what are they ten, nine ten points clear the drop zone a couple of wins and I just can't I can't see the bottom three catching up so uh, yeah I think the relegation battle is pretty much done OK, looking at some of the other games this weekend, Jay, Wolves, Southampton played each other for the second time in a week. Southampton won 2-0 away at Molyneux in the FA Cup in midweek. And then Wolves got their own back as they won 2-1 at uh, the St Mary's Stadium this weekend in Premier League action. Things have gone a bit sour for, for Ralph, Ralph Harsenhutl and his team. And, and, you know, we're not just talking about the 9-0, but they've lost six Premier League games in a row. And we're up against Wolves, who are not in the best run of form themselves, there's a couple of question marks being being raised about Santo and his players. Things just seem to have gone a bit stale for, for Harson Hootl. And as, as good as what he's trying to do is, and as reliable as the likes of Ward Prowse and Danny Ings are, things do seem to have just gone a bit, as I say, a little bit stale for them. Yeah, it's really, you know, you're worrying from a Southampton point of view. I think everyone rightly gave Southampton credit um, when they stuck with Harson Hootl after the Leicester 9 0. And everyone's like, oh, he's going to get sats, that's it, he's going to go. And they could see what he was trying to do long term. Stuck with him and I think at one point this season they were in and around the top if they were not at the top of the table at one point, um, only briefly. Um, and everyone was like, oh, you know, he's turned it around and this is playing great football and challenging near the top of the table. And they're just in free fall and, you know, 60 feet on the trot, including a 9-0 loss, speaks for itself. I know they've had injuries and, and suspensions and things like that, but it, it does seem to be really worrying and, and as much as they got credit for sticking with him last time, you wonder whether they'll do it again if things go, as you keep saying, you know, sour, which they are doing. And if, OK, they're on 29 points, I think it's going to—it's highly unlikely they're going to get dragged into a relegation battle. But you'd think they were moving forward. It looked like earlier on in the season, Southampton was a club that had bigger ambitions than just surviving. It was challenging near the top of the table. And if they end up finishing the season sort of just above the relegation zone, because I don't think they'll get rid of him before then, then maybe during the summer they might look at some something else. But yeah, they, they need to turn around. I watched this game and, and as you mentioned, you know, the usual suspects, Ward Prowse and, and Ings and players like that, you know you can line them. But you need more than that to... to, to, to to, to thrive in the Premier League and I think Southampton are a club who've got ambitions of thriving rather than just surviving uh, The other game from today Jonathan Arsenal 4 leads 2 this was an absolutely mental game and it, and it was always going to be a mental game I've been asked by quite a few people in the week as an Arsenal fan how I was you know, looking forward to this game and 
I wasn't was the, the short answer because <laughs> these were two teams going into this that you absolutely have no idea what's going to happen they've both got the capability to batter each other and they've both got the capability to just crawl into their shells but Arsenal 4-0 up after an hour they, they did leave the back door open a bit for Leeds but in classic Leeds style Arsenal probably could have had five, six, seven uh, before full time and I think what we're starting to see now with Arsenal not necessarily in the same way as, as Leicester with Vardy because he's got better players around him but the the sign that Arsenal are so reliant on Aubameyang comes back in today gets a hat-trick if he isn't in that team and he isn't banging in goals Arsenal are a mid-table team yeah well they are a mid-table team at the moment so I think that's a fair happy me. Valentine's Day to you as well. <laughs> um, yeah I mean Aubameyang is that sort of goal scoring and, and I think this is a from sort of Leeds' point of view this is this is an example of of what happens when, when things go wrong when they're not absolutely on it you can get picked off. Um, from Arsenal's point of view, yeah, um, I mean they've got they've sort of arrested the decline now, haven't they? So they have got good players. It's a very tight season. You know, I think Arteta can now start looking at looking upwards. I think you know maybe the top four is is, is out of reach, but there's no reason why they can't think about that. They, you know, if you've got Aubameyang firing. You know he 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 can nick goals in tight games, things like that. They've got you know Saka coming through. There's enough quality there that they can start think, start planning for their future, and um, and start thinking about challenging for the for the top sides in the Premier League. So I think you know I think there's a lot to be encouraged about. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I had your confidence. Um, two of the games from Saturday we're going to look at now, Jay. Crystal Palace nil, Burnley 3. This is another very strange result. Not in the same way as, as Arsenal beating Leeds 4-2. More looking at Burnley winning away from home. These types of performances and scoring three goals away from home is, is not something that we associate with, with Sean Dyche and Burnley. But we, we tend to kind of have the same conversation about Burnley all the time where we know they'll eventually do enough to, uh, to not be dragged into a relegation battle. But... Crystal Palace, we can't really say the same for them. They've had some positive results in 2021, but they've only won twice in their last eight. Could they potentially get sucked down into it, particularly with with Saha having an injury and and we're not really sure when he's going to be back? Um, I'm always a bit loath to say they could because we did this last season, didn't we? I think me and you and I was like, <laughs> I think we both predicted them to fall like a stone or something. And then they, they, they just kept sort of winning and picking up points. Um, I do rate Roy Hodgson as a manager. I know he can be a bit of a figure of fun, but I think that he's, you know, he's got that experience and, and that know-how as well, that he's a very astute manager. And I think he'll have enough there. They have got some decent players as well, not just uh, Wilfred Zaha, despite how reliant on them how reliant on him they are. So I think they'll be okay. But again, I mean, I don't want to just repeat myself with, with the, the, what I said about Southampton, but, you know, is, is, is Crystal Palace's only ambition just to stay up? I mean, the way things are going, it may end up just being that. Again, I don't see, I don't see him getting sucked in into um, a, a, a relegation fight. But if you're finishing the season sort of 15th, 16th, is that, is that all it's about? I'm not sure I'm not a Palace fan, but I think that maybe they're looking to, to sort of try and do a little bit better than that. But yeah, I, I, I think this is really worrying. I think they've got enough quality there. And as I said, with a manager like Roy Hodgson, I think they'll be OK, but I don't see them being any, any, any better than OK, to be honest with you. 
Uh, and in the true spirit of uh, Valentine's Day, we're going to wrap up with something that promised so much and ultimately delivered absolutely nothing. Brighton nil, Aston Villa nil was the final game on uh, on Saturday night. Brighton absolutely dominated. Dean Smith, Jonathan gave one of the most honest post-match press conferences I've seen for a very long time where he just said we were bang average. We're so lucky to have, have got away uh, with a point. Emiliano Martinez basically saved us. Brighton have, have won a lot of fans uh, in the last few weeks. Obviously, brilliant performance away at Liverpool and winning there and they are kind of looking to stretch the boundaries similar to what Jay said about Palace if there's that block of teams that you do kind of inevitably go well what do you want where do you realistically expect um, to finish and, and Brighton are kind of look to answer a different question and say well wherever we finish we're going to do it our way and they were lucky not to get three points here against the Villa side that are in better form than them Yeah I mean it's been the story of the season hasn't it really Brighton have been so impressive but they never seem to win that often um, you know they had a load of chances yesterday. Martinez is a, a brilliant keeper. I mean, going back to Dennis Irwin, he's he's been a hell of a signing for Villa. So hold on, uh, you'll be giving Jay palpitations. You can't be throwing Emiliano Martinez in. What was the other one? Sammy Ippia. <laughs> <laughs> we've had to force Vardy on him. Emiliano Martinez, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, the, the mess that Villa were having with keepers. <laughs> they had Pepe Reina last season. At, at times, they were all over the place. But he, he's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So. Um, but yeah, Bright, you know, you say Brighton have won a lot of fans. I'm one of them. You know, I've watched them last couple of seasons under Graham Potter against City. They've they've come without fear. They played they played good. You know, passing the ball, trying to take the game to City, which is you know a lot of sides just sinking into their shell. But they they, they go for it. They went for it at Anfield, and that was the one where it really came off. Um, you know, I think I think they're in a false position. Actually, I think they should be a lot higher because I think I think they've been one of the best sides this season. Uh, perhaps they just need a goal scorer. They just need if they could get a goal scorer. I don't. I'm not sure. The sky's the limit for them. How how, how high up the table they could finish. I think they're a top half side the way they're playing. Yeah, I think as you say, it's just that issue with the goal scorer and, and Neil Morpai is as good a player as he is, and the way he's able to hassle defenders, he, he can make things happen. But just that dead-eyed number nine in, inside the box, Jay, they, they don't seem to have Leander Trossard and, and Pascal Gross are really good footballers and they can make things happen. But you need a, you know, we come back to our old mate again, Danny Ings. You need someone like that because he's he's the difference between finishing between twelfth, uh, sorry, tenth and fifteenth, and tenth and, and the Europa League. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at the, 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 the way that they play and some of the build-up play and, and the chances they've had. I remember when we played a million in the season, they had chance after chance after chance. And it's, it's, it's all sort of very nice, for want of a better word, and, and you, can all, you can admire them. But I think you've got issues when almost every football fan who, who doesn't support your club thinks you're a nice team. <laughs> because they don't it's a bit of a Norwich because, from last season yeah it's like oh they're nice them yeah they, they play some attractive football they're good to watch and we usually beat them that's not what you want <laughs> you want you know <laughs> you want a team that's going to pick up points and wins and um, and I think that until they get that that that, that clinical finisher then they're always going to struggle I know they brought in Danny Welbeck who's one of my favourite all time players but he's not he's not the answer unfortunately for them yeah, let that be the Jay Motti message on Valentine's Day night. Nobody likes a nice guy. Fellas, we're going to call it there for the Football <laughs> Social Daily uh, Premier League weekend review show. Jonathan, Jay, as we said at the top of the show, there's nobody I would have rather spent Valentine's night with than you guys. So thanks very much for joining me. Cheers. I don't know, that's quite scary. I don't know if more about me or about you, to be honest with you, mate. <laughs> Uh, with Valentine's Day behind us tomorrow Jim, Marley and Niall and everyone else will be back 
They're going to be looking at Everton's game against Fulham and previewing the Monday night action. Two games, West Ham against Sheffield United and Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea against Newcastle. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. We are your go-to guys on all things Premier League. We'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.